Father, you are good, better than we deserve. You are creator, and you're the one who never changes. God, what an awesome, wonderful, comforting truth for when the times seem to change and when our emotions change and when people change, you never change and you leave us a, a rock of stability in the midst of the storm. And so I pray that as you're asleep in the stern and we're pelling water out of the boat, we'd not look back at you and ask, do you not care that we are perishing, but see you as an example of someone who's in control of the weather, in control of the world, in control of evil even, keeping it at bay, using it and turning it against the enemy, using it for your church and for your people. God, you were the one in control. So mold our hearts to be conformed and encouraged and motivated by that. We pray it all in the precious name of the one who never changes. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's our last, our last time outside before we go inside together. And I think based off the weather, we can't wait to get inside. We said we wanted to like go to this point because we thought it'd start getting cold by this point, and we nailed it. Nailed it. We're absolutely right. It is chilly. I actually was thinking as I was sitting here, do I have an article of clothing in my office I can go grab and put on because I am freezing? And sure enough, I did. I'm wearing an undershirt now that uh, I previously did not have before because I'm chilly, but that's okay. What we're going to talk about today is a little, it's a little different than a normal sermon. It's the last of our pastor's choices, and I want to share with you some things on my heart. It may not be as organized as you're used to, but it's organized thoughts that I have. We're going to be pulling some things from Scripture, and so I want you to be ready to hear Scripture, to turn to certain Scriptures, and to read out loud things that we desperately need. I have here compiled a list of quotes Quotes that I would say you could find anywhere on social media, that you can find when you turn on the news, that you can find in your conversations with people, that you can find anywhere it seems today in the world when we just tune in and listen. Here are the quotes that I would use to describe. Please be warned, many of us will probably amen with inside and many of us will also at the same time be triggered by what we hear. All lives matter. Blue lives matter. Black lives matter. America has crumbled. Assemble. Get ready. Prep. Store up food. Get ready to fight before we lose our country. The president is the problem. No, the president's going to solve the problem. Everyone needs to homeschool their kids if they love them. You should do online school. Nope, I'm sending my kids back to school because I don't live in fear and neither will my kids. I'm too scared to even walk outside. Rioters should be shot on the spot. No, they're called protesters, not rioters, and they are simply expressing the emotions that no one will listen to. Maybe they will now. I'm terrified of this virus. 
Why isn't everyone wearing masks? I care and they don't. (laughs) This virus is not what it's being made out to be. Stop wearing the masks. Can't you see what the powers that are be that are that are trying to do? You're being duped and playing into their scheme. This virus may not be deadly to the majority, but it's extremely dangerous for those who are older and who have weakened immune systems. Can't people see that masks are a sign of loving your neighbor? Why are you going to let the church sing without masks on? We aren't coming if you don't make everyone wear them at all times. The church needs to stand up, open their doors, stop wearing masks, fight. You're not a Christian if you vote this way. You're not a Christian if you support this. This is how the church fights racial injustice. Where is the racial injustice? I don't see it. Our governor is an idiot. Our governor is doing a great job keeping us safe. My concern for the churches, not just our church, but my concern for the churches is this. At a time of great uncertainty and growing confusion, violence, and opinions... We will be overtaken by our passions. Let me say this again. My concern is that a time of great uncertainty and ever-growing confusion, violence, and opinions, we will be overtaken by our passions, fracturing the unity of the church. Worst yet, we will act as though God carries our same thoughts and emotions, carrying his name under a cause, not his own. I believe we all feel this. I I think that I'm stepping into ground we all are thinking about. Voices that we're all hearing. Confusion that we're all feeling. It's like like we're realizing that we've been in cold water all of these years, but it has so slowly changed temperature and risen above our heads to the point that we notice now that it's above our heads and boiling. So many voices, so many opinions, The polarization of genuine brothers and sisters, that civil war doesn't seem to just be on the horizon for our country, but in the church as well. And if you don't see it, I envy you. So how do we navigate this? Our opinions about masks, politics, riots, racial justice, preferences, elections, suffice in burning passions within, blurring the line between brother and enemy. I think it's something we need to talk about. First, know this. This is nothing new. We are not not facing emotions and passions and things going on in the world that hasn't already been faced by the church forever. Jesus himself was constantly being pulled by people for political reasons. Take a stand against Rome, why don't you, Jesus, if you're king? Take a stand against taxes. What do you say, Jesus? The Pharisees constantly found fault and were looking for fault. Jesus had thousands of people follow him, but with one sermon left them all leaving because it exposed their hearts. Those same people, the same people, were trying to force him to be king so that he would dethrone the wicked Roman government once and for all. 
You know, Jesus never let people suck him into the tornado that is opinions and sides and earthly things. He spoke truth and he called all people to that same truth. You know, everyone thinks Jesus is on my side. Jesus thinks the way that I think. Jesus simply says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the message that Jesus brought to all people. He called people to follow him. The church has always faced spiritual warfare, and that's what it is. It is a spiritual warfare that is going on. What's truly at stake are the things that we do not see, what's going on in our heart, and that's bubbling up, and the enemy is taking occasion from it. The church has always faced truly division, strife, arguing, opinions, controversies, and forcing convictions. This is nothing new. Nothing new. For the Corinthians, the gifts and their mentors were dividing them. For the Corinthians, they were listening to thousands of voices instead of the voices of leaders that God put over them. For the Galatians, circumcision was taking the place of Christ in their hearts. For the Colossians, asceticism was perverting grace. For Titus, the churches on the island of Crete were lazy, glutton, and evil beasts, and he was told to rebuke them sharply. For John, he wrote to specific people that they were letting false teachers in their houses and some that were barring legitimate believers from fellowship. And we know John wrote the book of Revelation. He got the revelation, which is a wonderful, wonderful warning, wonderful climactic look at the beauty of God's victory over everything and how those who belong to him will triumph and will overcome but within even the book of Revelation, there is a great warning for the endurance of the saints because the enemy is at work. For the early church, they were literally fed to lions. The Jews weren't. The Jews were not fed to lions because the Jews were willing to fight against Rome. And Rome did not want to start a civil war, so they picked the easy targets, which were these pacifist Christians that wouldn't fight. Easy target to blame. You be the judge, evidence of cowards or followers of Christ. For 2,000 years, the church has faced anywhere from peaceful times to inconvenient times to perilous persecution. Where do we stand here in Michigan? I think we're in peaceful times with a little bit of inconvenience compared to history. You know, Paul talks in Romans 15, he says, I believe, as he talked to the boy, I believe that you're full of good knowledge and wonder. And I feel good about you, but it was necessary for me to remind you of certain things. Brothers, sisters, I want you, that's how I think about all of us. I believe there's good. I believe you have the knowledge of Christ, but I see the enemy at work and there's something great that's happening, and maybe we don't see it, maybe we do, but there's a blinder on our eyes that's potentially going to lead us to the greatest polarization that maybe we've ever felt in the church, and division that we will excuse in the name of our cause for whatever we think is right today. Compromising on what we're really called to. So first, know that we're not facing anything new. We're told that there's nothing new under the sun. And that every temptation that comes our way, every trial has already been dealt with in the past and God has already brought escape and victory. Secondly, don't let the devil take your eyes off the summit. This is exactly why we named our church Summit 
church because of the constant distraction of life to take our eyes off heavenly things and to put them onto earthly things. So we have this name, even in our church, that has this picture to remind us that we are down here amidst the trees. They're closer to us in our vision. We must peer through it and keep our eyes on what really matters, the summit. God had us go through Ephesians, do we not remember? And one of the main themes of Ephesians in that book was unity. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul said, urge you, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you had been called. What does that walk look like? It looks like this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father over all who is over all and through all and in all. He then had us go through Philippians where this theme of humility and unity is restored again. Paul says something similar, similar to the Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here's the question. Here's the question that I want us to answer this morning. With all of the stuff that we can admit, there's plenty of things that are going on and being said and opinions and the thoughts that are going on that can easily put wedges between legitimate brothers and sisters. So... With this, knowing that I have a heart that James tells me is wicked and, 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 and deceitful, desperately wicked above all things, and because my natural propensity is not to seek the things of the Lord, but to seek the things of the flesh, and that I desperately, constantly need the Spirit to come in, remind me of things. That is who I am as a redeemed person. Knowing that, knowing that the devil will take a foothold in any opportunity he can, how can I avoid becoming an instrument of Satan during this time of overwhelming passion? How can I avoid becoming an instrument of Satan during a time of overwhelming passion? The Bible tells us that Satan is an angel of light. That means he's never going to present things to us in a way that is actually evil because we would never follow him legitimately if we thought what we were doing was evil. He disguises himself as scripture, as God, as things that he knows we will follow and hitch our passions and our wagon to. This is what is so polariz polarizing right now and that's what we're up against that I feel. So I want to give us four things, four things that just comes from my heart we're going to jump around to some passages, but things that I think would be very important for us to remember and strive for during this time to give the enemy no foothold in our life. First one is this. We need to make every effort to align our hearts with God's and not his with ours. We need to make every effort to align our heart with God's heart and not bring his heart down to ours. 
You remember in the book of Job, when Job is going through his ordeal with death and losing literally everything which God allowed Satan to do in his life. God was over that. He had three friends come and give him horrible advice. All of them so sure that they knew the heart of God of what was going on in his life. And God says this about those who misrepresented God to their friend. My anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. James is the one who tells us to not make plans so hastily. To not be so sure of what needs to happen or what we want to do in the future. Yes, make plans, push forward to things, but know that at everything we must say if the Lord wills. God's plan is far better than ours. And what if God would reveal to us during this time that what he has planned lines up nothing with what we think should happen? Would we say, yes, God, you still have the best plan? Even Jesus, as he cried and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane with drops of blood sweating from him, let this cup pass. What did he say? How did he finish it? Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus even taught us to pray, right? God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's a recognition, it's, it's a surrendering to the mighty hand of God and a humility that recognizes what God does is, is far higher and better than what I think he should do. God knows he's, he's God, he's creator, he is in control, he doesn't change, he's never changed. And he's the one who has everything in his hands, even our country Everyone thinks God thinks and feels the way that they do. Listen to this verse. John, Jesus warned. He said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Could you, I do, could you imagine being in that situation thinking, hey, I got God with me and I'm killing people, literally fighting and killing people thinking this is what God wants me to do. So sure that God's on my side. You know, when the Bible says you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, it doesn't just mean, it doesn't just have the idea of using God's name as a cuss word. It has the idea of carrying God's name for a cause that he never hitched his name to. We need to make every effort to align our hearts with God's, not his with ours during this time. That's going to be the temptation. It's going to be very tempting very tempting. So every time we open Facebook, YouTube, the news, radio, or a podcast, we are flooded with information that triggers a reaction. So because I may pull into a call, pull God into a cause that isn't his but mine, I will approach each day with silence and meditation into God's word, remembering his ways and his thoughts are higher than mine. Second thing. I think we need to prioritize during this time of overwhelming passion so Satan doesn't use us to wreck the church. This is a big one. We need to prioritize this 
showing that we love our brothers and sisters by keeping our opinions and convictions private. Let me say this again. Displaying love for brothers and sisters by keeping our opinions and convictions private. Seriously, this is a biblical command. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Romans 14 with me? We're told to dedicate ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, so I want us to read Scripture. I think the most appropriate, relevant topic for Romans 14 right now would be masks. We're literally tempted to divide the church over opinions about masks. Romans 14 is the, is the scripture that God gives to us in the areas of life that are gray that we don't have some type of mandated obligation. Each one of us makes up the body of Christ and God wants his church to be a collective, unified example of people who think different, feel different, who are from different places, who look different, who sound different. Romans 14, though, helps us in those areas of life, but wait, I feel really strong that this is a spiritual issue in my life. Hey, you can feel that way, but if we're not careful, we can divide the church over our well-intentioned convictions. So I want you to just read through with me. I'm going to read this, and I want you to insert some of these strong opinions that are going on today, as if Paul were talking about that. Mask is the one I think about. Paul says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now we have this introduction of a weak brother and a strong brother. Who's the weak? Well, everyone else thinks that everyone else is weak. So we're all maybe to look at this as if we're strong. And consider those who we disagree with as weak. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor in the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God. Verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. From whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I would encourage you to eat, sleep, and breathe Romans 14, especially in the midst of thousands of opinions. A few things I want to point out. Paul reminds them, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about that. It's not about earthly things. It's not about mask wearing it or not wearing a mask. But within our great convictions about whether or not you should wear a mask or not wear a mask, there is this temptation and this opportunity for the enemy to use your well-intentioned convictions to force it on another, cause them to stumble. And the Bible says this, you destroy the person. The Romans 14 also says, absolutely have your convictions. Let them be between you and God. Be convinced fully in your mind, but there's something greater than your conviction. It's the unity of brothers and sisters. Because I care more about the spiritual well-being of my brothers and sisters, I will not impose on them what I consider to be a spiritual obligation when it's not mandated in Scripture. I must see that God wants unity through difference not unity through agreement. We must strive to show love for brothers and sisters by keeping our opinions and convictions private. We're not going to help. We're going to hurt, even if we think we're helping. Thirdly, this, never compromise your Christian character. During this time, never compromise. There's nothing that can happen or no cause that's so good that you can compromise your Christian character even if it means undesirable results. You know, in the book of First Peter, Peter talks about what it means to suffer righteously, to hurt like Jesus, to put on the same mind that Jesus had when he suffered in the flesh. Peter says this in chapter 3, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be shaken. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. But respond with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. For it is better if it be God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. The temptation of those in Peter, they were suffering at the hands of government. 
And Peter had to write to them to remind them, hey, listen, I know what's brewing right under the surface. The imps and the demons of hell are pulling at your feet to get you to respond just like the world, to give you to cave in, to get you to put away that Christian character, to put that, that conformity to the image of Christ and conform itself to the war and wage war like the world does. That's the temptation. James says this, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, get this, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And Jesus was unlike any other person on the planet because he's God and he's perfect. And his life manifested something that we can only peer at and wonder with great excitement and interest of how he could be like that. And his spirit is promised to us that he gives us and he comes down and he indwells his people and the spirit and the fruits of the spirit are begging to be pushed out of us, especially in the hardest situation, the fruits of the spirit that put aside dissension and divisions and arguings and disputings and breed gentleness and peace and joy and love and kindness and forbearance and self-control. Never compromise your Christian character, even if it means you're going to get the short end of the stick, even if it means your death. As a Christian, the end does not justify the means. The means supersedes the end. I live as Christ lived the rest of my life, and I leave the rest, including my health, future, and country to God. And number four... So we're not consumed by our passions and the enemy takes a foothold. We need to make sure to put our full trust in the ways of God. Let me say it again. Put our full trust in the ways of God. That's why Peter told those who were suffering at the end in 1 Peter 5, he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he told them to be sober-minded, to be watchful. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That word for being sober-minded and being watchful is to make sure your reactions to the things that are going on around you are not worldly. But put yourself under the mighty hand. His hand is strong. He's the one who can bring change. He's the one who controls everything. And so the temptation is this, just like we learned last week where Jesus himself was tempted. Hey, you're God. Take matters into your own hand. The temptation was to, are you re, are, is it really good enough to just let God have it? Can we really trust God with everything that's going on? Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Psalms 27 says this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We're told in Isaiah that his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher than ours. And we have a myriad of examples throughout Scripture where God allowed his people to get in crazy, impossible, inconvenience, hard circumstances, even as a result of their own sin, and he still was there with them, bringing them in and bringing them back. Remember, God's way doesn't always make sense to us. God's plan is always a foolish plan that puts to shame the wisdom of the world. You know, this past uh, City Harvest slash Gateway Gathering that we just had, we went down and had it for the first time in a long time at the mission. We got to see a lot of men and women there who were lifting their hands to Jesus that are homeless. Got news that two of the ladies in the Bible uh, class the day before that had gotten saved and there at City Harvest just singing with a renewed heart. It was beautiful seeing this, God changing someone's life. One of the things that we talked about that God led me to speak on was, was the story of Jesus and Barabbas. And one thing that I did not talk about there that I want to talk about here is I want to remind you of that story. Jesus is put on trial He's put on trial by his own people, given over to the, to the Romans, who, who three different times, they declare this man's innocent. Absolutely innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And even Pilate said, I know that these Jews have delivered you up to me them because of envy in their heart. They have something that they want. They want. And through mob rule, they're going to try to get it. And so Pilate's trying to do everything he can to, to be able to rid himself of Jesus and not have to worry about this and let this man go. And so what does, what does Pilate do? Hey, it's, it's the time of the year where I allow the people to release to them one prisoner. And so he brings out this man named Barabbas. Barabbas means son of the father. The scripture tells us that he was a robber, that he was an insurrectionist, which means he was r- causing riots and mobs to go up against the government. And he was guilty of murder. So you have an insurrectionist, a murderer, and a robber. And he puts him up next to Jesus. And he says, which do you want? Now normally we read that story, we think, you know what, I'm, I'm just like Barabbas. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus taking the place of me. Yes. But you know, there's a potential other story, another challenge here. There's an early manuscript of scripture that when Pilate says, which one do you want? Do you want Jesus who is the Christ or do you want Jesus who is Barabbas? Could be that Barabbas had one of the common names, Jesus, and his name was actually Jesus, son of the father, or Jesus the Christ. And it's like Pilate was sitting there to the Jews and he's saying, which Messiah do you want? Do you want the one that's going to fight like the world does, that's going to cause an insurrection and fight and, and make a military uprising and stand up against the government? Or do you want the meek, mild Jesus who wouldn't even fight back and who's letting himself be murdered? When Peter cut off the ear of a guard to try to protect him, he gets rebuked. He picks the ear up and he puts it back on in a miracle. He says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Constantly, the disciples, confused by the manner and the life of Jesus, because he wouldn't fight. 
His message was one that makes no sense to the world. Even the enemy, the Satan of God, doing everything he can to try to come and destroy the Messiah. And he kills him on a cross. Literally works within the Pharisees, who should have been God's own people, works within the Pharisees to conspire a plan to kill Jesus. Enters Judas even to betray Jesus. Yeah, we got him once and for all. We're finally getting a leg up on God all of this time, and we're going to kill his one and only son. And then I think of the words of Jesus, no one takes my life from me. What did he say? I lay it down willingly. This was the plan all along. To crush the head of the snake. To destroy the enemy. To make atonement for sinful people that deserve wrath and destruction. For once and for all, to die as the final sacrifice in the Lamb of God and bring hope, bring salvation, bring the forgiveness of sins. And you and I who are like Barabbas, getting off free, though we don't deserve it and deserve to be on death row. During a time like this, like every other generation of Christians, we need the warnings and we need the call to come right back to the center, which is Jesus, to keep our eyes on the summit, to be reminded of the enemy that's constantly on the outskirts trying to devour us, to not be ignorant to his schemes and to see see that the unity of brothers and sisters is a very very special thing, so much so that Jesus prayed for that in a high priestly prayer. And we get the opportunity through a very hard time, full of many opinions, to be able to have our opinions and convictions, to have them, to press into them, to honor God with those convictions, but then to show and display a love and the work of the Spirit within us that we're able to be unified in the midst of disagreement, to show the world You can only have the peace you want through the gospel. We get an opportunity to do that. So church, may the spirit work in our hearts as he he does to convict us and to encourage us where he wants us to be, how he wants us to think. And may we grow together in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, your word sometimes is a hard thing to wrestle with. God, pride can be a hard thing to squelch. Father, we all know that something's going on in this world. We all know something's wrong. We all know there's potential danger around every corner. God, feels so strong. I feel so strong when we see another video of someone saying something that's so wrong or someone being killed or someone lying and literally taking, taking advantage of someone else. We see so much of worldliness and ungodliness going on. We're just we're moved with passion to want to do something. God, help control that energy into the conformity to the image of your son.
to see that to live like Jesus, to follow your ways and to put our full trust in you is not passive. It's the most active thing that we can do. It's the most good that we can bring in the world. Help us to not get back into the thought that we can make a moral majority and force Christian values and make laws and rules and try to change the land that way. It doesn't work. God, you changed our heart through an encounter with the real Jesus on a personal level. And you want us to take that Jesus and give it to others on a personal level. God, you may work slower than what we want to go. God, bring us back to the heart of worship and back to the heart of the message of the Great Commission that people need Jesus. It's the only thing that'll change. I pray you'd work and act and help us during this time. Keep us your church. Prevail. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take just a second and consider those words. Maybe they compel you to do business with the Lord. Scripture is clear that we must decrease, but he must increase. So maybe take a second, just consider how that's landing in your heart today. together.
was seven, eight years old, July 4th, 1976. And I remember standing with my family at, a, at the July 4th parade in my hometown of Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And I remember the pomp and the circumstance and the celebration as we celebrated the 200th anniversary of our country. Man, I was, even at eight, I was so proud, so proud to be an American. And right now, I know you're like, hey, Lee Greenwood is starting to roll through my head. I, this is my opinion, and Canadian friends and family, you can have yours, but I believe we live in the greatest country in the world. But here's what I know. I had a conversation with someone, a couple of people actually. We could be losing our country, and you know what? We could be. But here's what Jesus said to Peter. He said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. The church will be forever. It is eternal. We are first and foremost members of the household of God, and then we're Americans. I want you, I'm challenging you right now, Romans chapter 15, the first six verses. This is our battle cry together, that we together with one voice, church, we are declaring the glory of Jesus Christ. There should be nothing, there should be, be no message other than us together proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, even when we disagree with our opinions. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, read it this afternoon. Church, I love the church. We are just sojourners passing through. One day we'll be together with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all eternity, and all of this will pass away. Man, we should look forward to that. Hey, church, next Sunday we're going to be right in there, Lord willing, and uh, we believe that he will be willing. And uh, so come ready to lift high the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus, and worship together. Know this, you are loved.